So I'm just going to ask you some questions about your dad. I'm a dad too, so. Yeah, I know, because you're a girl and you're a boy. That's right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Action! What is your dad like? He's funny. He's really funny. He's really funny. How is he funny? His dad jokes. You like his dad jokes? No. What are some funny things that your dad does? He claps really hard and, it, and mom doesn't like it. He claps really loud. Yeah, like this. Wow. Wow. What is your dad good at? Working. He's really good at fixing things and building things. He usually goes to a fast food place to get his breakfast. What do you normally eat? Uh, biscuits and waffles. It's a lot of carbs. Is there stuff that he's not very good at? He's not very good at wrestling, yes. Three against one. Yeah. He's not that good at hair. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Oh, I thought you were about to Was that a song you were singing? Um, no. Oh. What's something he's done? You're like, Dad is not very good at that. Jokes. Jokes. <laughs> is your dad pretty strong, dude? Yeah, because he always goes to CrossFit every day. So he's a CrossFit dad. He's like, explode! Wah! To do he's that. Like, uh. Do an impersonation of your dad. <sighs> I'm just going to rest my eyes. <laughs> is there anything that your dad has taught you? Nope. What is it? What does he teach you? Sight words. Sight words. I copy him to do what he does. And yeah, you copy him. I just do stuff to make myself learn from him. What's your favorite thing to do with your dad? Snuggle and talk with stuffed animals. Go fishing. Play wrestle with me. When you get on his back, you like yanks us off of him. How does your dad make you feel? Special? Happy. He makes me hungry from his delicious food. He makes sure we're safe. He makes me happy. Yeah, that's what he makes me feel like. Good job, bro. <laughs> that was special. That was fun. Welcome. Glad that you're all here. Um, before I jump in the message, there's a couple things that I want to share with you. The first one, um, for Father's Day, happy Father's Day, all the dads in here. Yes, um, welcome, and we're glad that you're here this weekend. I hope tomorrow is a special day for you. We were thinking about what gift uh, to give, and I know it's been mentioned, but I wanted to talk about it real quickly. Um, many, many years ago, we were probably, I don't know, the fourth, fifth year of the church's life. Um, a man in the church recommended to me a book called The Difference That a Father Makes. And the writer, the author is Ed Tandy McGlasson. And I actually had a men's advance coming up. And maybe, anybody in here remember? Were you at that men's advance? A few of you were here. Um, had Ed come in and he taught. And um, here's what I told him after I read this book. I said, man, you wrote my book. You wrote the very thing that I was going to write. So I decided the world didn't need to have two of the same book, and I'll just go off of the one that, that he wrote. And when thinking about what we wanted to do for Father's Day this year, um, I wanted something that I thought would make a difference, uh, something that I thought um, 
would be a gift that would keep on giving long after the weekend is over. And so um, I, I challenged Amy last minute. I said, any way we can get enough books here to give out to fathers um, in the next 24 hours. Um, <laughs> it wasn't quite that bad. It was 48 hours, but Amy made it happen. And uh, yes, as always, and Ed himself actually uh, made it happen on their end to get it to us. And so want to, to say this to, uh, to all the dads. Um, one of the principles in this book that really changed my life, Ed wrote it this way, you live for or from your father's smile. And that's not just men, it's every one of us. We live for or from, and it's not a cliche, it's not just some kind of a you know, tricky little play on words. Um, the truth of the matter is, your father is smiling over your life. But many of us don't ever recognize that, and so we live our whole lives performing, hoping that God is pleased with us, hoping that it's the right thing. And one of the things that this book did for me was to really expose us to the idea that the Father is pleased with us and that he's smiling over us. And there's so much in here that I would recommend. So we're giving it away to all of the fathers this weekend. It's at the uh, Welcome Center, correct? So just across the lobby, you'll see the letters on the wall. And if you want to go over there and uh, pick that up, we'd love to get it in your hands. And it is a gift from our church and really from my heart to your heart. I hope you'll take the time and you'll pick this up this weekend. I really do believe it'll make a difference in your life. And if you feel like, hey, Pastor, I don't need it. I'm not a dad or... I'm not at that stage, whatever it is, but you know someone who you think could use this, then let's pick it up and give it to them too. How's that? Is that, uh, is that good? I can say that to Saturday people because I know we have enough right now. I don't know if I'll be able to say the same thing tomorrow <laughs> on Sunday, but we want to give that to you. And then I uh, wanted to read this to you, a new ministry that has started in our church, and I'm trying to find ways to expose um, different, different ministries by taking a few minutes and talking about them. There's one with the acronym SOS. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll read this letter. Um, Dear Pastor Leach, I wanted to let you know that last Wednesday I contacted your church regarding needing help in removing things from a flooded room in my basement so I could have the restoration com company I'm working with uh, start to uh, getting it dried out. I won't bore you with more information than you need. However, this has been a nightmare I have been dealing with since May the 12th due to the abnormal rains we've been having. It has taken two weeks to dry the large main room in my basement because they had to rip up the carpeting, remove baseboards, drill holes in the walls, etc. On Thursday morning, Pastor Ryan contacted me after explaining the situation, told me there would be people over by 11 a.m. to take care of it. That was the first piece of good news that I have had in many weeks, and it brings tears to my eyes just thinking about it. Along with Pastor Ryan, the men arrived, um, and they could not have been nicer. They took care of everything in about an hour. I was so relieved as this has been truly traumatizing and devastating to deal with because I have lost so much and my insurance will not cover anything due to it being groundwater. Pastor Ryan told me that there was no charge. However, I insisted, so I made a donation to your church. I initially contacted my church to ask if there were some young dads or young men who would like to earn some money and help me and was told that my church could not help. Uh, I have not been happy with my church. Um, <laughs> And this is not church bashing. I'm certain that uh, at certain times people could have said that about our church or could say that about our church. You never know, you know the story behind something. But I know this. It was an older woman 
whose husband uh, is not in the picture, and she needed our help. And so this ministry is a helps ministry. It's a serving ministry, and it's not just for older people. We want to make it available to anybody really in our church that needs it. We think that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is helps. And so we want to operate in that. So two things. If you are looking for a ministry and this appeals to you and you'd like to be available, you don't have to be available for everything that is called, but if you have some time and some skill, uh, whether it is an expertise in a particular thing or just the ability to go and help uh, and change something, or if you could use this ministry, right? Either one. You want to be a part of it or you could use help with it. Here's the way that you would find out how to take care of this online. You sign up at jfc.org slash serve. So SOS stands for Stewards of Service. Uh, several of the men are involved in it. I'm really proud of this, which then just leads me into uh, taking the offering. I'm trying to find the practical ways of explaining to you um, what your giving does. Your giving allows our church to say yes Thank you, Pam. Thank you for that right there. Let me say it one more time. Your giving allows our church to say yes. yes. We don't have to say no. We don't have the resources. Our church has the resources with people. Our church has the resources with uh, abilities and with giftings and with finances. And that is part of what your giving goes to. That's the ministry that the body is able to do. And it can make such a tremendous difference in so many people's lives. So we always explain the spiritual part of it, but there's a practical part that just allows us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in this world. Amen, Amen. to that. So we thank you for your giving. There are three ways to give. You can give online, you can give through the app, and you can give at the offering boxes. Let me bless our offering. Father, love you, and thank you for the opportunity to say yes, Lord. We always just believe that you said yes and that you're still saying yes. Lord, even being able to give away a book. Father, want to be a church that can always say yes. And that, Lord God, works in conjunction with partnership. People that get what you're doing and say yes to you and us hearing your voice and saying yes to what you want done on this earth, Lord. Thank you for that faithfulness. Thank you for that generosity. Thank you for that spirit. Lord, would you multiply that here at Jubilee? Amen. Multiply it, Lord. And I pray it in your name. Amen. amen. And amen. So we're in a series called Flawed Heroes. I want to take a moment and thank uh, Daniel for last week's ministry. I don't know if he is sitting in here right now. Where is he? There you are, son. Um, it is a, a particularly difficult thing to have to do what Daniel did last week. I think people just listen to messages and don't always interpret all that's going on. To have to write that message, to have to be vulnerable, to have to share your heart. Um, you know, we're down to less than three weeks now until the move is coming. And I appreciate the ministry that you've had here, Dan. All of us do. You and Holly have done a tremendous job. And I thank you for last week. And, um, yeah, let's hope Florida's not forever. Amen. Amen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but for now, and we bless you in that, but good job last week, and I just wanted to say that in front of everybody. Um, so our series is called Flawed Heroes. Now, what I mean by flawed heroes, we're not looking for the worst people in the Bible that we can uh, <laughs> preach about. Here's, here's what we mean by that. There was only one perfect person, and that's Jesus, Right? So compared to Jesus, then all of us are flawed, right? 
we all are born flawed. We all struggle with that nature. We all are uh, in that process. And I think one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's not writing uh, a story where we just look at it and we admire people who did so much better than we did. We can see that they, they did good. They also struggled. They had to rely on Jesus. Sometimes they struggled with their faith. Sometimes they would pray and not always see the answer. When you read Hebrews 11, it says a lot of the promises they saw at the distance. And it also says they wished that they could live in the day that we live in where we see those promises happening right now. So our series is about flawed heroes with the hope that it doesn't just simply inspire, but that it allows for change because you can identify, hey, if they can, I can because I see the humanity in that. So this weekend, with it being Father's Day, I, um, I picked a flawed father. And the flaw, again, is not some major discrepancy. I think it's the reality that a person struggled with his faith. And I think that in that, we can all see a little bit of ourselves. So this is Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 14 through 27. Let me take a drink. And I'll read this story. You can follow along with me. When they came to the other disciples, uh, they saw a large uh, crowd gathered around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So um, where, where have they come from? Jesus and three of his disciples have gone up to the top of the mountain. It's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. And on the top of the mountain, they saw Moses and Elijah. Um, Peter suggested, hey... You know, do you want us to build little houses, little shelters for them to be able to sleep in? Uh, it's kind of one of those things that you just say when you don't know what else to, yeah. to say. Like, you know, anybody else have the gift of babble at times when you, you shouldn't have it? And he was just babbling. Um, and then Jesus, the Bible says, uh, he transfigured. He transformed in front of them, and he reflected the glory of the Lord so brightly that it was like looking into the sun. And I've taught on that before, and what we can gain out of that is that Jesus reflected the reality of a different reality. And what we are here on this earth to do, part of our lives, are to reflect the reality of another reality. People are to look at us and not just go, hey, there's nothing different there. They're to see the glory of the Lord in our lives so that when you allow God to operate in you, one of the things that is so good about that is that when your gifts are evident, people look at that and they're not just saying, way to go rich. What they're supposed to say is way to go God. The Bible says that our lives are his handiwork. His artwork is the actual word put on display. And the artwork never describes itself. It always speaks of the artist. Your life is not to say how great you are. Your life is supposed to say how great our God is. And so there should be great glory in it for God when we're on display for people to see. Does that make sense? So one of the reasons you want to find your gift, one of the reasons you want to be a part of ministry is that when you do those things, you're reflecting the reality of another reality. People see that it's not just, hey, I'm in it to... To, to win it and get it for me, and I'm looking out for number one. When you serve people with no other reason except to be the hands and feet of Jesus, you're displaying the glory of the Father. Doesn't that make sense? It's wonderful, right? So in this situation, they've come from this incredible moment in the presence of God, and the reason it's called the Mount of Transfiguration is because Jesus transfigured there. Then the four of them come down the mountain, and this is what they encounter. They come back to the other disciples a very large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. I mean, how if you're Jesus, how would you like to come back to that right there? You come down off the mountain. Literally, that's an off-the-mountain experience, huh? back in the valley. All right. So they see a large crowd 
around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. It's the Pharisees and the Sadducees. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they're overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Argument over. Here's Jesus. Uh, What are you arguing with them about? Jesus asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought uh, my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. Uh, He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And then Jesus, like, you know, just suddenly, it's almost seemingly harsh. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Don't go to the next one. Let me describe this real quickly. Often when I have read that, I thought Jesus was talking to the disciples because they were unable to do what he could do. But I think the first part of the story tells us who he's actually speaking to. Why were the teachers of the law arguing? And what were they arguing about? The disciples are trying to do good. And every time Jesus and the disciples tried to do good, they argued about it. The teachers of the law would argue, you're doing it on the Sabbath. You're doing it in the name of the Lord. Who gave you the authority to do it? They never praised God and said, wow, this is awesome. So what are they arguing about? They're probably arguing, who do you think you are to try to do this? It's already a test of their faith, correct? Jesus isn't there. Their faith is being tested. And instead of having people around them who were encouraging them, they probably got a lot of people saying like, "Mm mm-hmm, I knew it, and probably said something smart. So the disciples get drawn into an argument rather than dealing with the menace. Does that make sense? So I don't think Jesus is rebuking the disciples. I think he's speaking to the teachers of the law. You unbelieving generation. The disciples were believers. Oh my goodness. You unbelieving generation. How long? (laughs) See, doesn't that seem harsh? I don't think that's who Jesus was talking. I think he was talking to the teachers of the law. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now we can go. Yeah. So they brought him when the spirit saw Jesus. Now Jesus hadn't even said anything. It immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? I'm not sure what Jesus was looking for in that. Maybe, you know, how did... Did this enter into his life? What opened this opportunity? And the boy's father, uh, from childhood, he answered. Uh, It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. So besides it being a spirit that whatever else it was doing, it was also a spirit of suicide that this poor kid is dealing with. By the way, suicide is a spirit. It is not the natural condition of a person's heart. Something has opened the person up to the attack of the enemy to the point where they feel like life's not even worth going forward. Say that to say real quickly, if you are dealing with that, it's not enough to just simply seek out medicine. You've got a spiritual issue going on in your life too. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have a child that's dealing with this, it's not enough to seek out a psychiatrist or a physician. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's right. We have counselors on staff. It's right, but it's not enough. It's a spiritual entity that you're dealing with. So it also has to be dealt with on a spiritual level. All right, but if you can do anything, look at the wording. If you can do anything, the father's made the journey to bring his son, knowing that he's probably tried everything else and nothing's worked. 
The kid's been in this condition for a long time. We don't know how old the son is at this point. He's not a child anymore, but I mean, how old is he? Is this a father dealing with an adult child? Don't know. I know in our lives, we've dealt with something for a lot longer than we ever thought we would. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then Jesus just repeats back, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, semicolon, right, connecting thought, help me overcome, it probably came out like this, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Like, can you be two people at one moment? Is it possible to hold two opposing thoughts in space and time? To actually be a believer, but to struggle with faith. I mean, can you believe in healing and yet not see it be happening in your life right then? Can you still believe it's possible, but not figure out why is this not working? You ever been in that place? Just like, I believe this. I'm praying for this. I'm standing on this. I'm claiming this. I've even made the journey to get here. I believe, but help my unbelief. I, there's the flaw. Anybody relate to that flaw? I believe. Man, with everything in me, I believe. But help me because I'm struggling with this thing right here and I don't know what to do about it, but I'm here. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? Show up. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't run away. Show up. Every time we open the altars for prayer and they're praying for healing, if you need to go 50 times, go 50 times. I heard a guy say one time, it's a lack of faith if you have to pray about it more than once. What a lie of the enemy. It was actually taught in a, a word of faith type of a thing that, you, you know, you claim it one time and then you just stand on it and you shouldn't have to pray about it. Something's wrong if you have to pray about it again. And yet Jesus teach, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. And like a judge who finally got sick of hearing, I don't know why he compares the father to that exactly, but I think that the impetus is on us and not on the Lord. Keep asking. Just keep asking. Keep knocking. Don't give up your faith. You believe, but you're struggling with something that's not working. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't give up. Don't lower faith to experience. Continue to raise experience to faith. Now we've prayed for my son. I mean, you have no idea. But here I am again. I believe. But help me with my unbelief. It's almost like an oxymoron in a way. And yet I think the reason it's in there because every one of us has come to a place in our life, in faith. I believe, but I can't figure this thing out right here. But it doesn't keep me from coming back and asking. It doesn't stop me. And that's when we said the last several weeks that what people do is they take experience. And then that is where they'll take their faith to lower it to, well, then I guess God's not doing this today. So it's teaching today that miracles, they ceased with the death of the apostles. They, don't hap- they did happen, but they don't happen anymore. What is that about? It's people that when they pray aren't seeing the miracles, so they take faith and lower it to the experience rather than continuing to take experience and lift it up to faith. So I've said the mother of a lot of bad theology is disappointment with God. We're disappointed. So we lower rather than raise or keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. 
So what did this guy do right above everything else? He may have struggled with faith, but he showed up. He showed up. I love that. I love that. He showed up. You know, sometimes you win just because you outlast the devil. That's not in my notes. I just came up with that. All right. Uh, it is often thrown him into the fire and water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can say, Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief, exclamation point. So it's, it's just imperative. When Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit, you deaf and mute spirit. He said, I command you come out of him. Look at these words, and never enter him again. That's important. I'm going to show you something in a moment. Uh, the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and the boy stood up. Can you imagine what that meeting was like? I mean, we go from like a manifestation of the demonic. The Pharisees are arguing. The disciple, it's a mess. Jesus cast the spirit out. The thing is, it's crazy, but the boy gets healed. So I wonder if that happened in church today, how many of us would respond with that? Like, would we say that was a good service? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, some, I, yes. Some would be like, I, what in the world just happened? The bottom line is the fruit, right? It's the fruit. Somebody got healed. Amen. Somebody got delivered. Amen. All right, if you're taking the notes. So the first one uh, with this guy, I'm using him as our flawed hero, this father. Let me just talk about a father's desperation. A father's desperation. Um, had an interesting meeting with a guy yesterday that's come to the church almost from the very beginning. He, he actually, I knew him from Res when we were up at Resurrection. Um, and shortly after we started the church, a year or two, he ended up moving down here for a job and they started attending the church. And he's had his children here, or his wife's had their children here. And um, just a neat, neat situation to have this family around. But recently, in the last six months, he lost his job. It's been really difficult for him. And so I've been kind of like just checking on him, you know, send a text or just when I see him, how are you doing? You know, just trying to reach out, just encourage him. How are you doing? So we made an appointment. He came in and he just sat down and he just said, you know, um, he said desperation is a really funny thing. He said, we live our entire lives trying to get away from desperation. I mean, you're a psycho if you wake up like, how can I be desperate today? You know, like I'm going to go gamble all the money so we can be desperate about the payment all night. I mean, you know, there's, there's some kind of, but desperation, think about it for just a moment. Desperation is the thing that causes change in a person's life. If you think about the times when you ever, you made a decision for the Lord, you move forward in something, you change something in your marriage, you change something in your finances, you change something in your health. Generally, we make changes in our health not when we get a good report from the doctor. True? It's usually something that happens to us that then we're desperate. Okay, it's got to change. I can't go back to no-nos anymore. I've got to make a change. <laughs> I know, wait a second, right? It's like, wait, that wasn't part of the deal. You know, sometimes the name tells us everything. No, no. <laughs> Those things attract me, actually. I'm like, oh, let's go there. Um, we live our lives as far from desperation as is possible. Nobody ever changes when things are comfortable. Yeah. 
In fact, what you do when things are comfortable is you get more comfortable. And so we feel actually an enti- comfort brings an entitlement with it. We want to stay. We believe that that's the normal way that life's supposed to be lived. Is that I always should be comfortable. And then when desperation happens, we see it as a curse. Could I submit to you that perhaps the Lord allows moments of desperation to get something to change that's actually going to produce good fruit years down the road and a change that's going to benefit not just you, but the people behind you? Does that make any sense? So this is a father's desperation. He's so desperate that he's willing to travel. He's so desperate that he's willing to fight through a crowd. He's so desperate that he's willing to overcome the thing that he doesn't understand to get the thing that he does want. I believe, help my unbelief. I don't know how all of this works, but I believe that it does work. And I've tried everything, but I'm, do you see a father's desperation in his bringing his son to Jesus? It's a desperate move. Comfortable people don't change. Desperate people change. I was so desperate, I sat and watched reruns of The Office, said no one who was ever desperate. I thought that was cute. You watch the reruns of The Office when everything in life is good, you don't need to change. When you're desperate, you're doing something. You're not just watching reruns. So here are some of the cliches. Desperate people do good and bad. Steph, good and bad. Desperate people do bad things. Desperate people do good things. Desperation in and of itself is, is what it is, but it can either bring change for good or change in the bad. How about this? Desperate times call for desperate measures. What I see in the desperation here with this guy is that desperation has caused him to pray, to seek God, to cry out, to repent, to change, and to act. And desperation does the same thing in your life. If you are praying, God, show up in my life, do you actually know what you're praying for? God, I'm not satisfied with the status quo. God, I want more. God, I want to see healing. God, I don't want the enemy to have this ground anymore. God, I'm willing to fight for, do you know what you're actually praying for? You're praying for God to put you in a desperate situation so that change happens. Because I don't think you can pray that prayer unless there's some kind of desperation in you. So we're crying out for God. God, bring revival. Bring an outpouring. God, change the status quo of what's going on in our country today. You recognize then our country needs to be desperate for things to change. Ah. Think about that for a moment. Business as usual won't bring any change to this nation. This nation will stay the same as long as it's business as usual. It will take desperation. Hmm. I wonder what kind of desperation it would take for a group of Americans to come together and pray. Think about what I'm saying. What kind of desperation would it take for us to quit arguing about things that divide us and begin to talk about things that are actually necessary to the survival of a nation. Do you get what I'm saying? Desperation. So we live our lives avoiding desperation, and yet desperation is the very thing that brings change. And what I love about this father right here, man, he's desperate. Jesus, we need you. Can I tell you, I told this story before, but I think when desperate prayers that I've prayed, it doesn't have to go back that 1998. And I've been desperate. I'm desperate right now, to be honest with you. 
desperate for God to do something inside of our church. But it's in, it's, uh, how do I say? It's, uh, it takes away from the desperation to share it. It's almost like it waters it down. I just need to be in a desperate position with the Lord. So I'm going to talk about something that happened that's over with to give an example. Is that okay? Okay. So uh, in 98, I was going through a really dry time spiritually. Anybody in here ever gone through a dry time? Spiritually, right? And if you're like, what's wrong with you? I can't believe you. We live under an open heaven. Don't you know that? I'd like to lay hands on you is what I'd really like to. I'm kidding. Desperate to hear the voice of the Lord. Sometimes, listen to this. Sometimes, Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. But he didn't say, I will always be talking to you. Now, he did say, my sheep know my voice, and the voice of a stranger they won't follow. But do you think that God could intentionally be quiet sometimes in order to get us to be desperate to seek his face? Pastor David, is that a possibility? Uh, It was written many, many years ago before any of us ever lived. um, St. John of the Cross, the dark night of the soul. You ever heard that term? I guarantee you, you've had one. If you've ever gone through a dry time spiritually, that's a dark night. It's a time of desperation. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Do you want to know one of the things that our nation needs? Desperate believers. Desperate believers. We can't tolerate this anymore. Not in an anger towards a person, but in an anger towards what the enemy has done in our nation. Hear me on this. And as long as you can turn away from it, and it doesn't bother you, you know what you are? Not desperate. Yeah. I'm not being ugly, I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Still love me? Yeah. I didn't love you to start with, Pastor Silicon. <laughs> I get it. 98, where are you? Did you say amen, Nelson? Was that you who said that? Okay, all right. I wouldn't think you would say that, but I... I had gone through three months of just... I think I hear the voice of the Lord in my heart on a regular basis when I read scripture, uh, when I worship through different messages. This book, I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit when I read this book. You can have many mentors in life that you've never met. God uses, it it, it just, but it was going through a time, a desperation of not hearing God. And the, the, the further that went along, the more desperate I got. And the desperation caused me to cry out. It actually caused me to alter my schedule. Here's what I did when everyone else would go home in the afternoon and the building was empty. It was this huge building too, man. It was almost freaky to be in that building by yourself. I would go up to our prayer room and I would lay on my face before God and I would literally cry out. I took it as literal to cry out and I would cry out, oh Lord, where are you? And my personality is, God, have I done something wrong? Is, are you withholding because you're angry at me? You're mad at me? Then there wasn't something like that. Felt like the Lord was just putting me in a very desperate, desperate situation. And this went on three months' time is how long this went on. A three-month drought spiritually. I remember getting up. It was uh, in January of 98. No one's in the building, and it's dark, you know, at 5 o'clock in January, 4.30, whatever it is. So it's, it's, it's cold outside. And I stood up, and at the top of my head, I just yelled, God, where are you? And why won't you speak to me? And that's what I heard. Yeah, crickets, huh? And I went home, 
feeling desperate and not having an answer. And got home, didn't share that with Chris, just ate dinner, went to bed that night, and that night I had a dream. And I've told the dream, and I won't take the time because it's a longer dream, but in the dream, that's when the Lord called us to leave behind resurrection, to walk away from everything that we had worked on and built. Son, is he still over there? The rapture happened, and Daniel's the only one that went. You know, one of the things that Chris and I had to come to terms with was there a time in our life when we had to walk away. I remember when we left Colorado to pursue ministry and to pursue Bible school and having to tell my father-in-law, Dad, we have to go. And he said to me what I said to Daniel, joking, you can go, but you have to leave the kids. (laughs) There's been several times in my life where the requirement was, you got to follow me. you got to follow me. And the Lord was gracious and brought us back. But even now, knowing what they're having, we, I know what it did in our marriage. I know how close the two of us grew to each other, having to rely on each other. It was good. I know what it did in my life spiritually. So that's, if you wonder where we really are, our heart is broken, and yet we fully understand what needs to happen. And can let go without there being any hook in it. I bless my son and I bless my daughter-in-law. And I pray Florida would be a great experience for them. And I'm praying against hurricanes and alligators and all the other ugly stuff that comes with Florida. Um, So just desperate for the Lord and crying out to him, I have a dream. And in the dream, the Lord births Jubilee in in our hearts. And I wake up the next morning and I knew... I knew that the Lord had spoken to me. And then it was like a flood. Then I literally couldn't write fast enough the things that the Lord... It was like, you know, when a drought breaks, it makes the water that much better. Yes, instead of it just being like it's always going to be here, oh, I appreciated the voice of the Lord more than I had in a long... Do you get what I'm, what I'm saying right now? So I'm just in this great place of, of, of desperation in the Lord answering that prayer... And so 25 years later, so literally 25 years later, I I look around. I'm so glad that the Lord made me desperate. I I mean, do you appreciate what we have here and what God's doing here? And this this was birthed out of desperation. Can I say that probably nothing great comes from comfort? Great things come from desperation. They come out of times where we're seeking God and we're pressing hard and we're trying to figure out, Lord, what do you want? And we're not content with the status quo. And that's this dad and this desperation. I don't know why I felt like the Lord put this in my heart, but I think maybe the greatest thing that a father can do is to show desperation on behalf of his family, to touch God and to pray, to bring them to Jesus. Hmm. Uh, a father's faith is the second one. A perfect example, in my mind, of a flawed hero and what this series is about. This guy probably fits it because I think his story we can relate to. I believe, but help my own belief. It's raw, yes, but you know the best thing about it? It's real. Now, some people would use, hey, I'm real as an excuse to be sloppy. That's not what this guy was. 
He's not being sloppy. He's being real. It's raw, but it's good. I think the best thing that you can do for your children, dad, show them how a relationship with the Lord actually works. Don't leave that to chance. Don't leave it to Sunday school. Don't leave it to children's church. Don't leave it to junior high on Saturday night. Those are all things that can embellish what the Lord wants to do. The greatest thing you can do, man, show your children how to pray. Show them what it's like when you're desperate. Show them that you're trying to get them in front. Let them hear you call out their names in front of the Lord. Dad, let your wife hear you call. Don't don't abdicate spiritual leadership because your wife is more comfortable with it. Be desperate. Pray out loud. Call their names. Challenge them. I read this really cool story this week about Billy Graham. His son Franklin, Samaritan's Purse. You know who Franklin is? Franklin was a rebellious snot teenager. Here's Billy Graham. The Billy Graham. Who probably would have this spiritual that you'd go, he's got to have perfect kids. And Franklin is a snot. And the Lord revisited upon Franklin a daughter named Cassie who turned out to be a real snot when she was a teenager. And both Franklin and Cassie's problem with their fathers, Franklin with Billy and Cassie with Franklin, was that they felt that their fathers were gone in ministry all the time. The great Billy Graham. And yet look at what the Lord has done through the ministry eventually in Franklin's life, and now Cassie is serving the Lord and has a powerful ministry. And it was her recounting the story of how her dad was. Sometimes you look at your kids and you think, I failed miserably. Just keep, keep at it. Stay in the game. The best thing you can do, show up every day. Don't quit. Don't walk away. Don't say it's not worth it. Don't get frustrated. And if you do, say sorry and pick back up again. Here's a word that I felt like the Lord gave me to tell Amen, if not many men in this room during this message, listen to the word. You are not the Savior. Men have in their hearts the desire to fix. That's why, ma'am, when you say to your husband, here's the problem going on, your husband diagnoses it quickly and then tells you what to do to fix the problem. And you're like, no, I know what to do. Just shut up and listen to me. But he's like, what's the point of that? God put me on this earth to fix you. You know why the women are laughing and the men are? Because it's dawning. Are you pastor? Are you being real? Yes, I'm being very real. Listen, I'm going to say it one more time, and I'm not joking around. Dad, you are not the Savior. Hear me. You are not the Savior, but you can help bring your children to the Savior. That is your job. Bring them to the Savior. You're not the Savior. Bring them to You can't fix everything going on in a person's life. You can't fix every problem that a kid has. You can't intervene. How many times have I said, it's so much easier to be the parent of a little kid than it is to be the parent of an adult. Oh my gosh. When they little, I thought it was so tough when they were little. They're whining. They're fighting. She doesn't want him to touch her. He's breathing her air. Ah! I can't do this anymore. Oh my gosh. Then they become adults. When they were little, I could do things to fix it. How many of you realize when they're adults, all you can do is stand there and pray sometimes? Um, Hold them when they're little 
and affect their whole world. And when they're big, they won't even let you hold them sometimes. You deal with the realities of adults, divorces, finances, things that you can't just snap your finger and say, knock it off. Don't do that. How you wish you could, huh? You're not the Savior, but you can bring them to the Savior. Does that make sense? You know, the Lord gave me the privilege with all five of our kids to be able to be the one who prayed with them when they sought Jesus in their lives. And for Amy and I, was in a big recliner. And she was just a little girl. Tell me about Jesus. God, what a simple question. You imagine if I had fumbled that? Well, I'm watching The Office. <laughs> huh? Shut the TV off and talk to you about Jesus. Do you want to know him? With Brent, it was on a porch swing. With Kate, it was on a walk. With the boys, it was in their room. You're not the Savior, but you can bring them to the Savior. And can I tell you something about faith real quick? This father goes, I believe, but help my unbelief. Do you know the Bible is full of scriptures that tell us faith can grow strong? It can grow weak, but faith can grow strong. And strong faith. Oh my goodness, man. That's your goal. You want to pass on, right, the path, but every kid's got to develop their own faith in Christ. They have to move beyond their mom and dad's faith in Christ. And that's when you have done the right thing. When a child develops their own so that they have strong faith, they're not leaning on your faith, they have their own strong faith. Wow. Does that make sense? Here's the third and last point, a father's legacy. So let me talk about this real quick. Listen to this. I thought this was uh, some insight that the Holy Spirit gave me. We don't know anything about this father and son after this story. The Bible doesn't even, we don't even know their names. We never read about them again. But I can tell you two things that I know 2,000 years later are a legacy that this father gave to this son. Here's the first one. The boy was free of the demonic forever. Let me go back. Will you go back to pull that scripture back up for me, the very first one? Um, and let's look at this. Uh, when they came to the other disciples, they saw... Go to the next, the next uh, scripture. Uh, next one. Let me just find it here. Uh, next one. Um, right there. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me, come, help me overcome my own blood. Go to the next one. I'm sorry. Uh, when Jesus saw the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and read the next and never enter him again. How many of you believe if Jesus said that, the enemy has no choice to be obedient to what Jesus said? And so what I think is really powerful is that Jesus then tells us these things and greater shall you do. 
And we're constantly trying to reinforce things that the enemy has no right to. The name of Jesus should shut a door and it can open a door. I'll guarantee you a spiritual legacy this kid lived with for the rest of his life was the legacy that his father brought him to Jesus and never again was he plagued with this demonic interference in his life. This wasn't some ongoing problem. Jesus said never again, and I guarantee you it was never again from that moment on. How would you like to reinforce that in your children's lives? Never again. Enemy, never again. Devil, never again. Habit, never again. Yes or no? Never again. A father's legacy. Hmm. And then the second one that I think is, um, is it, it's by implication, right? I can't, it, it's, we got to read those words. But the second one, I think, is this uh, in his legacy. The father knew who the boy could be. So let me just say this real quick. Uh, this is for parents, but let me say it for dads. You know, one of the toughest jobs that a dad has to do is when a kid forgets who they are, you've got to remember because they will look you in the eye and tell you everything you believe about them is, you're wrong. That's stupid. I'm not that. I'm going to get away from that. Trisha, I wonder how many times you prayed and reminded, here's who you really are, and here's who your daughter's going to be. I saw your daughter a couple of weeks ago up here praising the Lord on worship night. You know, those are things you can't. Those are spiritual inheritance things. Little children aren't born knowing how to worship the Lord that way. That's handed off. What a precious thing that was. That's legacy. That's all three of you. That's legacy. You've handed off something so valuable to the next generation. Never again should a generation from your family not know the Lord. And not praise the Lord. May that go on forever and ever and ever. To a thousandth generation. So the boy was free of the demonic in this way forever. And the father knew who the boy could be. When a kid forgets who they are. It is our duty, our obligation and our privilege. To always be praying and reminding them. This is who you really are. This is who you really are. And gosh the world today is trying to take that away from parents left and right. We know who they are. You have no idea who they are. Ha. You are the ones who know. The greatest legacy you can leave behind is a spiritual legacy. Do you believe that? So I'll prove it to you. I know I've said this before. Just keep bringing it back to your memory. The unbroken circle. There will be a day. I promise you (laughs) 10,000 years from now. As real as this moment is, as real or touch me. Is it real? real. My hands are cold though, aren't they? Man, they're freezing. <laughs> God, you're nice and warm. <laughs> as real as this moment is, right this second, where we are talking, you are hearing, you are thinking, 10,000 years from now, it will be yeah. as real. And you want to look in that moment and you do not want your circle to be broken. You do not. And that's why I'm telling you the most important legacy you can pass on, it's not how much money you leave behind. I think that's a good thing. 
I think it's a right thing. I think scripture actually teaches that. I'll, I'll read it to you. I think to leave behind, uh, you know, a family identity, that's an important thing. Yeah. To leave behind, you know, uh, like uh, if you take your marriage in a serious thing and you're, you want to leave behind, like this is, we, we loved each other. We're leaving this as a legacy. This is what it's supposed to look like, right? That's a, that's a good thing. Or a, a work ethic or whatever, whatever legacy that you want to leave behind. Those are good things. But I think the most important one is the spiritual legacy because it will matter 10,000 years from now. Not what you did. Yeah. Right. Not how much money you had. Do you agree with that statement? Yes. So everything else, it will melt away. Yep. It's passing away now. But the things that can't be shaken, those are the things that will remain. And that's why it's so important for believers. You've got one foot here on the earth, but you've got to have one in heaven too. So you're praying while you're living here, right? But you're also thinking about what it's going to be like then and there. So our values here then help to open doors then and there. That's why your prayers are so important right now. The enemy works overtime to disconnect us from thinking that what we're praying, what we're sacrificing, and what we're doing is not that important. And it's life and death. Look at me. It's life and death. It matters. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep believing. Keep reminding. Keep showing up. Never give up. The only way the enemy can win is if you give up. If you don't give up, he cannot win. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And I, guys, I read the end of the book. We win. We win. We win. We actually win. We don't lose this fight. We don't lose the battle. We win. We win because God wins. And that spiritual legacy, man, it is so important. And I know just the world we live in, it works overtime to disconnect us from how important it is right now to be praying, to be reading, to be believing, to be standing. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. I don't know. Maybe this is the dad part of me that wants to be a hero. You know, I want to win. I don't want to lose. And I don't want my children or my grandchildren to be missing on that day. I'll close with this. I'm four minutes in deficit, which is awesome for me, man. That is like a miracle. Huh? It's great. And I've got a meeting I've got to go to. It starts in three minutes. I will be late for that meeting in classroom one. We went last night to celebrate Father's Day to a restaurant in Castle Rock in the Meadows called the Library. I don't know why they call it a library. It's not an old library. It's a... But it's good food. And so we had uh, all of the kids except Amy's kids with us. They're with their dad this week uh, for Father's Day. But we had everybody else. And so such a big family, they gave us a room. You know, they tell you, like, we're going to give you this honor, but it's really to keep you quiet from all the other. (laughs) He's got all the little kids running around, man. You know, as a dad, you reach a place, a grandfather, where... the gifts, you know what I want? I just wanted to be with them. I just looked around that room and I just, I went home and read the cards. Amy gave me this little box 
And all the kids that couldn't be there wrote on little notes about why I'm their papa. And I wept. That's the legacy. That's it. And like, if you're like, Pastor, I wish I had that. I, I get stuff happens. I get nuance. I, I get it. It's not a message to make you feel bad. It's a message to energize us. There's such a spiritual legacy here that God has for us. And I know that the enemy works overtime to disconnect us to make us feel like it's not worth it or nothing's changing or nothing's happening or they're not. If only you could see it, not just for where it is in the moment, but for where it's going to be before it's all said and done. And that, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, huh? Dads, granddads, great-granddads, I'm going to pray over you right now. Eyes to see, ears to hear to know deep in your heart that it really does make a difference. And I also would pray that sometimes all you need is just to hear a kid or a grandkid just tell you what it means. May you hear that this week. If I could give any gift, I would give you that gift. Pick this up on your way out. I think it really will make a difference um, in your life.